Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Okay, so my name is Petra Hutcova in Czech. And uh, I guess in English it would be pronounced Petra Hutkova. Where do you hail from? Where were you born and raised? I was born in Prague uh, in the Czech Republic. And I was raised in Prague. I lived here until I was 18. And then uh, I moved to England. One thing that I always find interesting is where people come from. So right. what kind of household were they raised in? What did your parents do, your siblings do kind of thing? Did they, did they do something creative and therefore it influenced you? Or did they do something completely not creative and therefore that influenced you? Uh, so I come from what I would call a working class family. and uh, But everyone from my father's side was very creative uh, my grandfather was drawing all the time and making furniture and um, my uncle was also a painter and and also my father was very creative so i would say uh, they were very enthusiastic amateurs um, so that's that's where i i guess uh, got that interest from in in the and, art and your mother uh, my mom I would I don't think she's that creative but <laughs> now she's actually interested in the arts and doing all sorts of different courses and going to the um, what do you call it the university for uh, for el elderly people and um, doing ceramics and arts and so on but when she was younger, she she wasn't interested as much. So at 18, you moved to London. Why did you move to London? I was, uh, it's a funny story. I was, I applied for the, to, um, for the Academy of Arts um, after my high school and I didn't get in. So my mom had this idea to send me to Israel as an au pair. And I went to Israel and I ran away from the family after one week because uh, I realized it wasn't for me. And I lived uh, and worked in different places in Israel. And then I, I, for several months, and then I went to Egypt uh, for a few months and, um, I met this English man who invited me to to go on a motorbike around Egypt with him and we fell in love and then I moved to England. <laughs> so it was a, it was for romantic reasons that I moved to England. All right. That's as fair a reason as any other. I moved here because my wife is Czech, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you got there, you then went to school in in training in the arts. Yeah, I had to redo some of my earlier education, like uh, what they call the A levels. So I did uh, photography and the arts, and then I did a foundation course, which is like a preparation for the university, where you do design, fashion, textile, and you and graphic design and you decide what path you want to take um, at a higher level. 
And then uh, I went to university in Leeds, in, in the north of England. And what did you graduate with? What was your degree? Uh, my degree was in, in the fine art. So the equivalent they, of a bachelor, master's, bachelor, bachelor. And then after I went, to, I actually came back to Prague for two years and then I applied to do master's in London. So I went back to, to England to do the masters and then I also stayed on for a few more years in London. And so now currently you're living in Prague. You have a lovely studio here in Prague, Pragovka. Pragovka, Pragovka. Yeah. <laughs> and you produce uh, from what I've seen on your, your website is very much installation works. Yes, uh, I think uh, lately I have uh, been making mainly installations and objects. Yeah, there were some older, it looked like some older works, which were sort of smaller scale sculptural works, but then they seem to have sort of gotten larger and larger and become more um, experiential installation scale kind of things. Yes, I actually uh, studied video or that was my focus. And then I started making 3D installations using moving image and then because I always felt at the time it wasn't so usual to make 3D installations with moving image, but I felt like I wanted to always um, get away from like, the two-dimensionality and also the linear uh, timeline of a video or uh, moving image. So I started making these installations uh, and afterwards I had a bit of a gap when I wasn't sure what I was doing or a little bit of a doubt and then I went back to the basics and uh, started drawing and and then again the same thing happened when I wanted to kind of get away from the the frame or the two-dimensional uh, image and slowly it started evolving evolving into like again three-dimensional uh, objects and then also uh, also into installations where you could add the additional dimension of the space. You, you mentioned a little bit of doubt in there. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I'm always fascinated about is, is that all creative people have that doubt. Either they do have a little bit of it every day or mm -hmm. they have like massive bouts of it where they basically sort of have creative block for a long period of time. What, uh, if you don't mind, if you mm -hmm. do, yeah, what, sure. what brought yours on? Like what, do you know what caused it? And then what did you do to, to get past it? I think uh, for me it was the fact that I was, I moved from... Uh, from England uh, to Prague so that was like a big change for me and then also some things happened in my personal life so I guess that created the biggest uh, that was the biggest reason to uh, to like upset me or the creative process and then how I got back to it was that uh, I methodically started working regularly and uh, just step by step kind of getting back into it because i think that's what happens if you if you stop then it's like with anything like with exercise then you have to at least for me i don't know how it works for other people but then you have to get back 
by just doing basic and um, you have to start from the scratch, I guess. But uh, sorry, but uh, more about the doubt that um, yeah, I guess it's a common thing that you also sometimes have a lapse in your confidence or things are not happening as expected, and then maybe that can create a feeling of doubt. Yeah, and we we all feel it, and then and then because we're feeling doubt, we don't reach out for help because we're doubting ourselves, and so it sort of becomes a little self fulfilling prophecy of like. I doubt myself. I don't ask people for feedback. I don't engage people in my creative process. And then I doubt myself even more. Mm. And so it, it becomes its own little spiral that, that sort of keeps going, perpetuating. But at some point you have to break it. Like you yeah. have to do, if you want to continue making art, you mm. can always choose not to and move on. But like, if you want to, you have to find a way to break that. And there's, a, there's some sort of, something has to happen. And oftentimes I find that it's, either just getting back in the studio, just making that conscious choice to get back in the studio and just physically be there and something will happen or some outside influence uh, somehow encourages you to get back in there. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like the, the, the going back to the studio for me, it's also very important and just uh, having the discipline and uh, the regularity of, of just even sitting in the studio and spending time with yourself and with your thoughts and, and just um, doodling or drawing and and letting the process happen. And then things always happen through the process. And then also, as you say, like reaching out to people. I always share it with my friends, also like creative friends. and uh, And maybe sometimes even doing little exhibitions or something something that can get you back into the process something maybe not that you would consider like a major achievement but even even doing things as an as, uh, exercise that will kind of uh, start the process sure exercising the creative muscle basically. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah throughout my life i've known different types of creative people some that don't go into the studio until they're inspired and some that are in the studio every single day from nine to five and it's sort of a work discipline for them and the, every you person finds their unique way that that works for them so what works for you i guess i go through stages uh, and i have stages where uh, when i go to the studio every day and then maybe after some well exhibitions or uh, times when I feel like I have exhausted myself, I try to take a break and maybe not go as much. And then sometimes I have times when kind of like everyday life comes in also and I don't have as much time, which is a bit frustrating. But um, yeah, I think it's important uh, to take breaks as well. I feel not major ones, but maybe like people have holidays so kind sure. of sure now you, you spoke about everyday life so in prague right now how do you make your living like mm -hmm. so do you have other jobs that help to support your art practice or is your art practice your primary income no uh i uh, i have other jobs like little jobs like teaching and uh doing workshops for children and adults uh, and I 
I get some money from my art practice, but uh, I wouldn't say that's it, like even close to enough uh, to survive on. So uh, yeah, so it's important for me to also work. And I try to, uh, of course, balance my uh, making money or, um, and I think it's, um, it's the same for many other people um, to try to balance out the um, the creative life with the with the ability to survive and to 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 have money to live on. So. Well, that's the basis of this whole podcast is trying to hear different stories of successes and struggles about like how different people are dealing with the stresses of daily life. The how do I pay my bills but still worship to my god of creativity that i must do kind of thing so it, it's a, it's a difficult balance and we all struggle with it all the time uh, until we can find some some way to make it successful for us or work for us or whatever word you want to associate with that so yeah for sure yeah uh, and i i think it's also for me personally it's also nice to have other activities in my life because uh, when I've had times when I'm uh, in the studio or I ha I can be in the studio 24-7, it's also not easy because uh, there is also a lot of pressure and responsibility that I feel at those times. So sometimes it's nice to to kind of take a break through doing other things and, and maybe being appreciated for, for the other things as well. Because uh, sometimes... Uh, it's not uh, easy to get appreciation uh, for what you do in the studio or uh, for the art you do. Elaborate on that a little <laughs> bit. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by mm -hmm. that. So that's why give me something more tangible, some some little story or anecdote, sort of about the mm -hmm. issue of not finding appreciation in life. Sometimes, for example, you do an exhibition which where you are not sure whether the result is clear or or the uh, the output and and you might be also not get any positive feedback, so this is what I mean. That's my whole life. <laughs> Going all the way back to my parents. Not a lot of positive reinforcement there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I love you, mom and dad, but not not the most positive reinforcing people, no. Yeah. And also when you're talking about um, maybe family or or maybe just people that you encounter, not everyone understands what you're doing. So it's difficult sometimes to be, uh, to get that kind of, yeah, appreciation. Sure. Well, and your work in particular, you work in a very, I would say, you know, pardon me if I'm, I'm mm -hmm. incorrect with this, but mm -hmm. I would say reasonably abstract mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, abstraction, I've always find inherently is a bit more unapproachable mm -hmm. than more representational work let's say yeah. so mm -hmm. i mean you're you're kind of setting yourself up for a little bit right. of difficulty a yeah. little bit of barrier of entry for the viewer mm. to to really go i feel what you're trying to explain because abstraction is a bit difficult so what That's, i find yeah. something i'm finding interesting mm. is, is that as i talk to people 
I realized that as creative people, we have set ourselves up with the most difficult task of mm -hmm. anybody. Like we intentionally cho choose a lifestyle and a career that's difficult for people to understand. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And yet the one thing we want most <laughs> is for people to understand us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might go back to childhood or something. I don't know. That's, that, that's my that's my my fascination is like mm. well, you know why do we choose a career that is emotionally draining? Like mm. you know, I have a uh, some somebody said to me years ago that when when we choose to be in the arts. When we go out and show our work in public, nobody is there to support us. Nobody cares if we succeed. Mm. The only people that care if we succeed are ourselves and our loved ones. And that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, Beyond that, sure. nobody mm. else cares if we succeed. Because mm. if we fail, there's a hundred other artists that love to take our place. So we have to, to a certain extent, like be our own cheerleader. But for me, I found that I ride that balance. Like I made the error in my youth of taking self-confidence trying to be self-confident mm -hmm. about your own art into mm -hmm. and i and i overdid it i became arrogant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and then a lot of people didn't want to work with me or they didn't like me whatever and that was my own fault my own doing and, and i've realized the error of my ways but it's easy almost easy to fall into that because you 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 have to feel self-confident about your work or nobody else is gonna appreciate it in some way yeah definitely yeah it's important but yeah. you can't go overboard <laughs> no i think uh i think maybe there is a fine balance i don't know or maybe it's different for everyone uh, and i think it's definitely good in every aspect of uh, people's lives to have confidence in yourself and belief in yourself and uh, more so maybe in the arts because uh i guess it's it's very brave to come out with your what do you call it and show your own skin uh publicly because vulnerable. yeah yeah uh, be vulnerable and i don't know about arrogance uh yeah that's a me thing yeah it's fine <laughs> it's okay back to your practice here in prague how do you get funded or stuff? So I come from America. Mm -hmm. I do more object-based production. So like I create an image, I put it in a frame, put it on the wall. I'm not European. Mm -hmm. I'm not Czech. And, mm -hmm. I, and I don't work in abstract installation work. So how, how, do, you find, how do you find the opportunities? Mm -hmm. And how do you find the money to be able to produce these things? Because some of them I notice are very reasonably large scale and using rather expensive materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess uh, I, uh, I search for opportunities uh, of, on the internet, I guess. I get approached by people uh, by curators or other friends, I talk to people. Uh, so sometimes, like, I think opportunities kind of happen through uh, what people would call maybe networking or just talking to friends or um, acquaintances. Um, and yeah, the process is kind of uh, organic, I would say 
because when you're involved in the in the arts then things uh, just happen but of course you have to put uh, an effort into it and have the energy and motivation to to participate and also to look for opportunities of course um, uh, regarding the funding I have done a few residencies which are uh, good because you get the space and the the money to to have time to create or to work uh, towards some uh, exhibition or um, or or it sometimes just gives you space to to make work without any uh, any commitments so that's really great and tell, tell me more about yeah. residencies uh, i'm fascinated with them i think they're absolutely fabulous as i'm getting older you know uh -huh. now i'm 45 years old yeah the one thing i really really want is more uh -huh. time and space and money to get you know nothing personal to my life but i kind of want to get away from my life every now and then yeah you know when i was younger it was easier i had more time i was mm -hmm. awake more now i sleep more mm -hmm. you know so like i i really want to be able to get away from the stresses of everyday life and things like this to be able to devote time and mm -hmm. residencies seem like these magical things that mm. are these unicorns <laughs> it's like how do you get to these places so so i'm fascinated like when you write a application mm -hmm. to a residency i mean i want to yeah. get down to the like nitty-gritty right. of mm -hmm. all this mm -hmm. When I look at the, a lot of applications, mm -hmm. not all of them, but but many applications, they're very. They seem to be very focused. They're like, mm -hmm. we are interested in ecological art, and like mm -hmm. so, like I can't apply for that. I'm right. not interested in ecological. Or or you apply to another one where they say, oh, we want you to engage in the community. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. my art is not about engaging in the community, right. so like mm -hmm. I can't apply for that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there are a lot of them that have these very specific topics and subjects that like. I, I just can't do right so it takes a lot of time and energy to even find the ones that are more or less what i would call sort of that pure true residency where they just mm -hmm. say we will give you a studio we will yeah. give you money and we will give mm -hmm. you time and you have no obligation do whatever you do mm -hmm. like those are magical residencies <laughs> i don't know because it's also nice i to have something to work towards i think well i mean oftentimes it'll end with an exhibition yeah or you have to leave a piece of work yeah, as a yeah, trade yeah. i get mm -hmm, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff but yeah but how do you yeah. how do you choose your residencies uh -huh, to apply right. for because i mean it's time yeah. it's money it's energy yeah, yeah, that you're yeah, yeah. how do you choose the one mm -hmm. the right ones to apply for mm -hmm. and and then the process of even like writing your mm -hmm. your statements or your application process how do you do that yeah so i guess i go through some kind of platforms or websites uh, that's one way of doing it where i'm trying to search for something that would resonate with me and uh, it's uh, quite intuitive or 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 i'm looking for something that that is uh, relevant to me at the at that specific moment do you so, search by mm -hmm. like by location you're going like i want to be in the middle east or i want to be in the americas or or, or is it more you literally don't care about the location and you're looking for just the good the 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 residency itself that interests you i i'm fascinated by this mm -hmm. because you know, like 
if I wanted to go to India, there are yeah. tons of ones in India. Mm, if I wanted mm. to go to Central Europe or Northern Europe, there's yeah. lots in there. So like, do you, what, what's your hierarchy mm, when you, yeah, you go through okay. the, the selection process? Right. Uh, so for example, I can say at one stage, or I'm still interested in, uh, in modernist architecture, uh, that had been transplanted into different, um, into like non-European context. So for example, I was looking, yeah, so I was looking for places where there is architecture uh, of that kind. So for example, I went uh, and did a residency in, in Casablanca. And also um, I was trying to get a residency in Chandigarh in India but didn't find a suitable place. So yeah, I guess uh, I'm looking for places which are relevant to my practice at the t at a certain moment. And then uh, I just, I, I think that in the application, I try to be as honest as possible and just describe my practice and describe the, uh, the things I would like to achieve or do. Um, and sometimes <laughs> I'm lucky and I get it and sometimes I'm not. Well, that's the thing. It's like how much of that is sort of like art bullshit? Like mm -hmm. how, mu how much of it, like when you write an application, mm -hmm. how much of it do you, you're like, oh my God, that's just pompous art speak. Yeah, yeah. And how much of it is sincere? I think uh, from my experience, the, it's really strange actually when I think about it because I have applied for many residencies and uh, got some, but usually I feel that the more sincere I am or the more the more the residency seems relevant to the practice, then the more likely it is to, to get the residency. Hmm. So I think it it works like whenever I wasn't sure about the place or about what they were doing, I think I didn't get it or, or if I, if, yeah, I don't know. There were times when I was just trying to get a residency for the sake of getting a residency and I just wrote some kind of what you call, I'm, I'm not sure actually if that happened ever, but yeah, I tried okay. to be quite honest. It's great. I'm yeah, or not waste time with things that don't seem relevant or that didn't. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, of course, there there are residences which I think would be very relevant, but uh, I don't get them. So, and and that's a, there's tiers of residencies, and and some it feels like at a certain point in anybody's career, they are equivalent to a certain tier of residency and mm. hopefully we get better and yeah, better yeah, as yeah, we go yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. We all want those super prestigious ones that will get us into these amazing opportunities, but they're they're very difficult to get into. They get more competitive as they get higher and higher on their tiers. Mm. I guess, yeah. Yeah. So what about grants? Do you apply for grants? I've applied for some grants. But uh, there don't seem to be that many uh, opportunities in the Czech Republic. Uh, I mean, there are some travel grants that I got. And uh, I can't tell you so much about grants, actually. Okay. Mm. Do you have a gallery that currently represents you? No, I don't have a gallery. No. More interesting mm -hmm. question. Do you want a gallery to represent you? I think it would be a nice uh, or an interesting experience to work uh, with a gallery because I've never 
done it so yeah i would definitely uh, like to but i have been making recently very site-specific uh, artworks so uh, related to different places so i don't know how that would work so um, I don't know whether my art practice would have to change in some way or... I don't know either mm. because I don't do that kind of work. Mm. So I have no personal experience with that. Mm. But I've known site-specific artists who still have galleries that represent them because what the gallery theoretically would offer would, the, would be the contacts to collectors with sites that they want something built into or uh, institutions that, that want some sort of pieces that, you know, put into their... Uh, spaces or their collection so like you could see the connections of a gallery being helpful mm. yeah, yeah yeah and uh, yeah i just wanted to say more about the grants sure uh, because i have some friends in holland and finland for example and uh, when i said there are not as many opportunities in prague then that's what i meant because uh, they get like my friends in Holland or Finland, they get funded uh, full time, basically. So they apply for these grants that cover their living for two years, for example. So, so these all, kind so of grants, I don't Finland, think. So we all need to move to Finland is what you're <laughs> yeah, talking about. I got it. We're all moving to Finland. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this generosity, I think, doesn't exist. That's what in the Czech Republic. So that's what I meant. I well, I think that, that's a tiered kind of thing. Again, is like, I think Finland, that's a, that's an extreme thing yeah, to be like yeah. fully funded for two years. Mm. That's, that's a, you know, artistic dream really. Mm, mm. I, I believe that there are a lot of opportunities in the Czech Republic mm. that are, but, but sort of then on a tier level that are not available in, let's say the United States or Canada or many other places in the world oh so, yeah for sure so yeah. I, I think mm. i think europe is in sort of in the middle like mm. they, they fund but they mm. don't necessarily fund a whole lot mm. but they fund a whole lot more than a lot of other places yeah yeah of course yeah i mean if you compare it to yeah other countries then definitely europe and the czech republic are good places to to make work at the moment so I'd like to get back to the residencies again. Mm -hmm. So yeah. your experiences at residencies, were they individual residencies, basically where you were given a, your own space and your own place and your own time, or were, were they group residencies where you sort of did things as a group and had a you know dinner together all the time and very sort of experiential of the interactions? Various, yeah. I've been to, uh, to a few and uh, some of them were more individual where you got your own space and minimum socializing and then other ones where it was more focused on on uh, on meeting people and um, kind of getting to know people and the, the possibilities of collaborating together and having dinners together and so on yeah and which one did you personally find sort of uh, more satisfying let's say uh, i think i like the mix or um the ones that are more serious and focused on just me having the space to work and then also of course meeting people and um um, getting to know the place and 
of course, um, not being just isolated in the studio and not having the possibility to meet the local artists that, yeah, that I wouldn't like, I guess. So for me, yeah, the mix is the best. I've been to a residency, which was too kind of social and that was really distracting for me and uh, I didn't get so much out of it, I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, the idea in my mind, my idealistic vision of a of a residency would probably be much more individual time, individual space, and, and sort of maybe like once a day or once a couple days coming together in some sort of group format. Yeah, or be, being in, I really enjoyed when I was in Israel, um, the lady who runs the residency there, She's uh, fantastic and she introduced me to different people in the city and uh, people who were also very useful for my work and um, yeah, she helped me a lot to to kind of become involved in the, in, in the place as well. Which actually leads to something else that I, I've often been sort of informed of because I haven't done a lot of residencies myself that residencies oftentimes help to build some of these networks the that then lead to better opportunities more opportunities in ways that you simply could not achieve had you not attended that residency mm -hmm. has this been your experience yeah definitely definitely i've met a lot of people um it's also it's very interesting because when you're uh, doing a residency you are detached from your own place so you rely on the people more so i guess you very quickly become close to people who you spend time with at the residency and uh, and also usually you are expected to to create something or produce some kind of outcome so it just naturally creates that kind of opportunity and yeah through through connections with people and um why oh, yeah what i'm trying to get yeah. to is so for example had at your residencies mm. any of them mm. have you been able to make a contact with let's say a collector or a curator mm -hmm. or a gallerist or mm -hmm. a museum that has then because you participated in that residency has then led directly to another opportunity. Yes. Yeah, I have. Could you expand on that a little <laughs> bit? I don't really want to uh, mention uh, You don't have to mention names. names no, so. you don't have to say names, but you could say like, yes, I was able to sell a work or, you know, I was able to exhibit in yeah. another place because I was participating in this. Recently, I read an article that there was this I don't know, accusation, mm -hmm. I'm putting accusation in air quotes so that, that you all understand, like, that the Whitney Biennial mm. in New York was uh, favored people, like 85% of the people participating in the Biennial all went to a particular residency. Right, yeah, And yeah. that curator of the Biennial went to that residency and basically chose 80% of the artists in the exhibition. So it's it's great sounds great in some ways because yeah. if you go to a residency yeah. you have the potential of meeting these kinds of people yeah. that then could get you into these amazing opportunities yeah but i think it's very natural because if you are doing a residency uh, it's usually an institution which has the means to be connected to different 
uh, to other institutions, to galleries, to collectors, and they uh, also, I mean, how else can they search for artists than through other institutions or, yeah, so so it seems natural that, uh, that uh, what you've mentioned is happening in a way, because, I don't know, maybe it's... Uh, could be a bit lazy also but no i mean to me what you just said sounds like a sort of a smart way to go which is a collector a curator a gallery whatever museum basically then rely not relies but trusts the residency mm -hmm. yeah, and, and yeah. the selection process of the residency yeah. that they have done a, a quality job in choosing the people that are participating and so therefore they then say, oh, okay, if you have chosen these people, these artists to participate, then you probably have done a pretty good job. So I will be, give them a chance. Mm -hmm. so, so it's a, sort of simplifies the process in yeah, some ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've just said it. <laughs> I'm not sure we finished with funding. Like as far as how do you currently fund your art? Uh, currently... I guess mainly, for example, when I do show, um, sometimes the galleries cover the uh, production or the... Okay, that's yeah. not normal. That's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal right. in the world. Okay. Yeah. So like even that mm. is a very interesting thing. Mm. So mm. you would, so this would be a for-profit gallery, a non-profit space. What kind of space is this that, that would help you by covering some production costs? Uh, it would be a non-profit uh, gallery, okay, uh, or or privately profit gallery also, or privately funded gallery. Yeah, um, and so they they would usually cover the cost of the production or partly, at least. Yeah, but not your time. They'll just cover materials. No, yeah, materials. Yeah, yeah. Not not my time, yeah. Sometimes you, I, I have uh, actually got a artist fee also. I guess that would cover the time, but it usually wasn't. Um, it wouldn't cover the whole time that you spent making the work. So it rarely does. Yeah. yeah. So. Now you exhibit here in Prague. Do you exhibit outside of the Czech Republic? Yes, I have done both. Yeah. Where have you gone outside the public and tell us the, some stories of uh, successes and failures and like basically, what markets have you found that are receptive to your style and not receptive to your style? Mm -hmm. You mean uh, by countries or by experiences? By experiences. I have recently. Can, wait, can can you do it by country? You can just be like <laughs> Hungary does not like. Consider my work at all, whereas Croatia rocking it. They love my stuff. Like, I mean, can you do it by country? <laughs> I can't. Uh, no, I guess not. Well, I actually could. Like Germany, France, and, and East Coast America likes my work. Yeah. But th that's it. Like a little bit, a little bit of UK. But but Germany is my my strongest. I can do it sort of regionally like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't dare <laughs> to uh, generalize like this, but why not? <laughs> it's funny. Um, well, you need. To, I mean, that's part of it. Is you need to learn your market. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the things I found is I I was in America mm. for most of my life, and and 
because I was an American, I, I had there was sort of a barrier of entry for me to other cultures and other opportunities. Like, I've never tried to exhibit in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the Middle East. I've never tried to exhibit in Africa or South America even. Mm-hmm. I've been to Central America, Canada, U.S., and now Europe. Mm-hmm. But th- there's a lot of the world that I've never even tried to engage with. And it's quite possible that like my art, your art, whatever, mm-hmm. might be phenomenal to them. Mm-hmm. But we just haven't had the time, the resources, the energy, the whatever, to be able to reach out to all these other potential spaces, locales, cultures. I feel that I create work for usually for some kind of site-specific event that's the most common uh, one. So I've done things for a lot of different like festivals, art festivals. There are festivals all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, for example, I've been to Bulgaria several times where there was a fest there was they tried to work with abandoned buildings there i I think a lot of people love abandoned buildings and uh, and um and question the process of gentrification and they they uh, there is a team of people that create now it actually ended the festival, but they, they, they do uh, annual events. They used to do where people would uh, create site-specific works uh, well, for that occasion. So I guess no, Bulgaria no. was good for me. <laughs> now are these are these festivals or art fairs? No, they are festivals. Festivals, okay. yeah, they are festivals. Big difference. Yeah, 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 for sure. Have, yeah. have you had any work exhibited or participated in any art fairs? Yeah, in the past I was in an art fair in London. Uh, I think it was called Fresh yeah. Art Fresh Art Fair or something like this. I can't remember. Uh, it was a long time ago. It was when I was still living in London. So yeah, okay. that was the last time. I was approached many times by different galleries. Uh, I guess it happens to every artist uh, asking. It does to... not. It does not happen to every artist. No. No. Just okay. so you know. Okay. <laughs> or to many artists. Um, to not necessarily to, to participate in an art fair, but oh yeah, yeah okay, those yeah. kinds of those, things, yeah. yeah, where they basically ask you to pay yeah, to yeah, participate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those aren't art fairs, no, not in my. They, they may call themselves art fairs, mm. but they're not art fairs. Mm. I I have a hard fast rule that basically says if anybody asks me to pay to mm. exhibit, yeah, it's not yeah. a, not real, it's mm. not authentic mm. Or, mm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I don't legitimize those kinds of things they're welcome to approach a gallery that represents me Mm. and the gallery can choose to to participate and pay Mm. but the idea of taking money from artists i i personally find that a bit offensive yeah yeah me too (laughs) but yeah it's ridiculous i get those kinds of Mm. emails and stuff Mm. yeah so it's a bit of a joke but 
So that's it's like the, those that's... publications that also say like oh you know put a thing of your artwork in our publication oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's terrible so <laughs> they're usually really bad publications as well, well I mean, but artists already we already put time energy money research testing practice mastery of a medium whatever we don't have extra money to to cover the cost of a gallery or to pay for a yeah. booth at some sort of thing mm. or something like this i mean that we don't have that i don't know why people keep thinking that they can sucker artists into paying for these kinds of things yeah i don't know terrible i feel very pessimistic <laughs> i'm very sorry that i came off as very pessimistic about that but i am very pessimistic about that sales of your artwork Mm -hmm. is a is an interest to me mm -hmm. so you you've mentioned that you were, can be funded for production of, mm -hmm. of works for exhibition mm -hmm. or sometimes i get a fee for the work yeah right. so do you in do you sell your work do do you have people who purchase them or institutions or collectors that that purchase these kinds of works not yet not no. yet okay mm. it's I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything. Mm, I'm, just, I'm no. just wondering. <laughs> no. it, well, because there are, I mean, like, look at large-scale Jeff Koons yeah, works. You know, yeah, there are site-specific yeah, yeah, yeah. things course, that are purchased. Course. Yeah. But so no, I, I, I mean, I've sold some works, like, privately, but uh, nothing major. The, and, and the ones you did sell, they were the smaller-scale yeah, ones? They, yeah, those, like photographs that... or drawings. Okay, so, yeah, because... Yeah. I find it very interesting mm. not being the kind of artist that you are mm. the, about how do you perpetuate the, the, the right. making of okay. this. Thing. It's one thing to just do, to do <laughs> one know. thing. Yeah. Like you can do one big thing and just be like, screw it. It's a loss. <laughs> like I, I'm never going to make money off of this, but it was, yeah. but I, I felt the need to do it. Yeah. But to perpetually make right. these, these public yeah. pieces that are site specific. I mean, that's, yeah. that's very difficult as far as the business aspect of it, because like there aren't a lot of people, funders, institutions, whatever, that are yeah. willing to pay for these yeah. things. You should, like, I don't know, for example, I don't know if you've seen the, the last work I made, The Big Wheel. It's for... I saw an it, image on your website. Yeah. Yeah, for a, a festival, I think, too. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a it's an art exhibition or festival, which is, uh, which is happening now. It's an outdoor one. All the pieces are along a little river mm -hmm. called Rokitka. And it's, I think, 12 artists. And most of the like most of it was covered we got a, an artist fee and the production was covered so that wasn't that bad but <laughs> so, it shouldn't be not that bad know, know. it should be good we, we should we as creative people we yeah, add so yeah. much to the texture of the yeah, culture yeah, and the yeah. society like we shouldn't be living our lives as I know. not that bad i know i know <laughs> I know it's weird. I guess, but yet we accept it. We're like, well, I it know. wasn't that bad. I know. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? it? When I think good. about it, when I think about it, there is this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you come prepared even from an art school for this kind of. You're. I think you're prepared from it from a very early age. That this is the way it's gonna be. And then I guess 
you accept it and yeah it's terrible but we shouldn't have yeah. to accept it <laughs> that that's the and this is what i'm trying mm. to figure out through this podcast mm. is like why do we mm. accept that yeah. and how can we change that because it's just not right i mean I've known many, many galleries. Yeah. Even. Like you, you think mm. like when you when you walk down the street mm. or you see an art fair or whatever, you mm. think all these galleries are doing magnificently. They're just raking in the money, right. making. T they are not. Mm -hmm. Most mm -hmm. art galleries mm. are on the verge of bankruptcy. bankruptcy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, on most yeah. days, mm. and they're just getting by. Mm. I mean, most of them, and I'm not saying all or long, yeah. or anything, but like many of them are as passionate about mm, art mm. as the creators of the art mm. but but we assume as artists that they're doing fine but we're struggling mm. but they're not doing that well either mm. and so like the whole industry seems to be like on the verge the only people that seem to do really mm. well are the auction houses mm. they mm. make tons mm -hmm. of money yeah but they deal with different kind of works yeah they, they're dealing with yeah. the secondary arts market yeah. not the the initial i mean but it's it's just i want us all to do better i want you know i'll give a good example maybe you should become the president of the arts yeah right, yeah, right. <laughs> president of the arts. Is, is that a thing is, there a, is that it can become a thing we should, we should create a president of the arts because of that well but i mean but the, i mean even that like in other industries, there are unions and other things like this that sort of fight for rights of people and things like this. Artists, we're a bunch of individual loners. We're, we won't even come together to fight for ourselves, much less for the entire industry. Mm. And so like it, it, the, the, the top down, like the, the, the big, powerful money people, they control us instead of us dictating to mm. them. I feel mm. like I'm getting myself in a lot of trouble no, with this thing. But but you're right. It is strange. And I find it, for example, even strange that now, I don't know if you know, that Pragovka is being shut down, as you know, or Sh shut yeah. down, not shut down, but being redeveloped. Yeah, you're in the part of the building that's going to be con yeah. reconstructed first. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly. out or moved. We should be out by October as the initial plan. I don't know if... The if yeah. it's going through or not and uh, so some of the artists are the selected artists are being moved to a different building at the back of the area for several years until this building is going to be reconstructed and then selected artists will be moved back to share the space with some kind of like architectural offices and designer offices or whatnot and what i find strange is that nobody is doing anything nobody is protesting the artists are not trying to do anything well, and when you come back in that reconstructed space of course rent's going to be higher yeah possibly yeah possibly Poss they are pro well there is a there is um there is a twist that uh to this whole business or deal that they have with the artists. So. Well, but what you're getting into is the whole politics exactly. behind a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, and this is something, you know, people who aren't in the arts industry don't ever, well, it's not that they don't ever, but they often don't realize mm. that there's a lot of political maneuvering to the arts in general, whether mm. it's, you know, 
between galleries and curators and galleries and collectors or artists and galleries, whatever, but it's also developers and, mm. and, and properties and artist studios. I mean, mm -hmm. there's this long history throughout the various cities throughout the world where there'll be some rundown place, generally a warehouse district. Mm -hmm. Artists will move in and then the, the homosexual community mm -hmm. will move mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. They will make it all better. They'll make mm -hmm. it all attractive. They'll make it all hip and interesting. Mm -hmm. And then people, then developers will come in and they'll start renovating it and yeah. they'll make it so that artists and mm -hmm. all these other people simply can't afford to stay there. Yeah, yeah. And so they then have to move to another district. Yeah. And, and, Quite honestly, that's what's happening here. Mm, is yeah, that you all, yeah. you artists, have made this place so desirable mm, and interesting mm. that now you've made it so that the people who own this property are going to turn around and outprice you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's really interesting because I've just been to London, where I used to live, and I had a studio. I don't know if you are familiar with London, but I used to live in Maida Vale at one point. Yes. Oh, okay. So not I... too familiar, but it was twenty years ago. Oh, so okay. So not too familiar. Probably... Okay, so I used to live in Hackney, which, uh, and I also used to have a studio in Hackney. And now I went uh, with my boyfriend to, I wanted to show him the studio. And I just couldn't recognize the place at all because uh, the Olympics had taken place and the whole area had been uh, trendified. And uh, now there are these remains of the fa facades of the graffiti and the cool art district but behind the facades there are like uh, expensive bars and football fans coming to have a drink and it's so it's it's bizarre it's really bizarre and i couldn't even recognize the streets because the whole district had been changed well and that's the thing is artists and creative people drive economic development in a city but yet we're the ones more or less sort of treated like the lowest of the low. Like the, mm. the, when artists want to move into an area, nobody wants us there. Mm. But mm. once we're there and we make the area better, then everybody wants us there and we can't afford to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a story of a gentrification. It's a form of a gentrification, mm, yes. Mm. But that's why that word gentrification, in my mind, I think socioeconomic or racial. Is that what it means? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> socioeconomic, I guess. Yeah, I would say so. You yeah. know, so like poor areas get renovated, rich people move in. Like that's to me, that's gentrification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. I'm always learning about new words as, okay. as best I can because. <laughs> I like having a good vocabulary. Okay. You work generally in a very conceptual format. I find the nature of having to write artist statements mm -hmm. uh, a whole industry mm -hmm. in and of itself. So mm -hmm. do you write your own artist statements or do you somehow get in curators or other people to assist you in writing or do they write them for you? Do you outsource it to somebody else or do you do them yourself? I usually write the statements myself, but when there is an exhibition, usually it's the curator who writes the the statement. And yeah, I like writing. Uh, oh, you I, like writing. I your like writing. Okay. I'm not sure about statements, but uh, I just like writing in general. So I guess writing is part of the practice as well. So it develops organically and naturally. So 
I write things, I make notes, I, uh, and then from that, uh, the statement can develop. It's not always that way, but it happens. I'm fascinated by artist statements in general. I, I do portfolio reviews mm -hmm. and I often have to read mm -hmm. artist statements. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, that was the best learning experience mm -hmm. for me on how to write a good mm -hmm. artist statement mm -hmm. by reading thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of artist statements because mm -hmm. I now know what I believe is a bad artist statement. Mm -hmm. because what I would you read. say is a bad artist statement? For me, there like there are some different tiers of bad, like <laughs> different ways of being bad, mm -hmm. but like overly intellectual and overly academic mm -hmm. i find mm -hmm. turns me off right so like yeah quoting latin phrases <laughs> okay. and and, and ev even quoting great authors from history mm -hmm. or obscure artists mm -hmm. i find that all kinds of turns me off basically what i and maybe maybe this is personal to me like yeah. my own issues mm -hmm. but like anytime that the statement makes me feel stupid mm-hmm I don't like it. <laughs> Maybe that might be a personal issue. <laughs> I believe that's a personal issue of my own. Like, yeah, I, be, because whenever I read a statement where somebody sounds very, very intellectual yeah. and they've like quoted yeah. these great intellectual yeah. things and I don't know what those things yeah. are, yeah, yeah. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, pompous bitch <laughs> like, they, they, it suddenly just makes me feel like they're these like shishi pompous arrogant people like like they've read so much more than me they're so much more knowledge and, yeah. and i don't appreciate that okay now, again, I maybe know. that's just me yeah maybe i would say <laughs> no because when i did my ma there were a lot of people it was nice because the group was um it consisted of different people from different backgrounds and they were like people who had academic background they came from humanities and they definitely had a different approach and different way of writing and different way of speaking and talking about art and even though i also found it a bit i found myself at a deep end sometimes like understanding what they were talking about i with some people, I knew that it was genuine, that they just came from a different background. So, I oh, yeah, no, no, I mean, the overly pompous ones, yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of pompous, like, like if they throw in like one or two things I don't mm -hmm. understand, I can tolerate that, mm -hmm. that's fine. But when like the whole artist statement is like referencing latin this and that and mm. plato's cave and all this kind of stuff like throughout the whole thing right and there's nothing else in it mm -hmm. other than this incredibly academic and intellectual stuff mm. that totally turns me off mm. like it, it, i find that the ones that are most most successful are basically the ones that have an emotive quality that i can connect with like mm -hmm. a sincerity mm -hmm. a vulnerability these mm -hmm. kinds of words and i wonder like is this common or am i the odd man out to appreciate that kind of statement yeah like that that's my perspective but like but like if i went to a museum yeah i would not expect to see that statement yeah. Yeah. on the wall because yeah. a curator would write something completely different yeah but i feel like to to try to make your art connect with a viewer it needs some sort of thing to connect them and not 
a barrier of, of like, I'm so pompous and arrogant. I've got all this intellectual art speak. Like, yeah. You, you I guess it depends on the audience, no? Well, that's okay. Well, and that leads to an excellent question. Yeah. Do you write different statements for different audiences or do you have one statement that you write to everybody? On a level of uh, like what you call maybe statements that are more academic or I would say mine is pretty, mine are pretty consistent. But of course, there are different approaches depending on the subject or... Let me clarify. Oh, yeah, so, but what, because what, you had talked about museums and well, like, uh, let, let's say you make a piece, like you got a piece here mm-hmm, in your studio. Yeah. So you, you make a piece, mm-hmm. and then you write an artist statement mm-hmm. about that piece. Do you write different artist statements depending on who you're submitting or, or showing it to, or is it just one artist statement, and that's it? Hmm. It's an interesting question. <laughs> that's why I asked. Yeah. Uh, I guess I alter. I I guess I have the uh, the recipient in my mind, uh, in a way. Yeah. So I have to admit that I I I think about that. Uh, or it's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. No, no, no. Of course. So okay. yeah, so, I so you do alter. Tailor it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. In like the 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 essence is the same, but the way it's written, it can be different. It can alter depending on the recipient. All right. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> it did. But I wanted to. You mentioned museum, hmm. and I was. We we went to the Tate when I was in London, and I was so surprised by the writing there. So uh, like on the wall, yeah, and the plaques, and yeah. things like this. Yeah, what, what surprised was in so, a good way or a bad way? In a really I don't know if it was a bad way, but it was so simple. I think I think I don't know the Tate policies, but I think they when I lived in uh, in in London, they had they wanted to make it approachable for general public. Is this Tate Modern or it was both Tate Modern and Tate Britain, and but now it's just it had been simplified to a point when I think I don't know a ten year old. A child can understand or 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 people who don't speak very good English like the sentence is very super simple and I was just like maybe off topic I don't no, know no no <laughs> I mean that's an interesting issue yeah. it's basically like when you're pro when you're offering art to the general public mm. which the general public is not necessarily as well informed yeah, or educated yeah. mm. or well read or anything like that how far do you have exactly, to dumb it exactly down? exactly it was so dumbed down basically i was i was shocked <laughs> i'll take that as a segue dumbing down so social media mm-hmm, <laughs> do mm-hmm. you use social media yeah, well, I use Facebook and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram, yeah. okay. I'm always fascinated by yeah. like how much do people use them? How much do they stress over uh-huh. it? How much time do they put into yeah. it? And But mostly, my most important and fascinating one is, mm. do you get any results from it? Like, So have you been able to actually post something on a, a social media platform and mm. in return you get 
I love this piece. I want to have it as part of my festival in mm -hmm. your case, mm -hmm. or I love this piece. I would love mm. to buy this. Like kind of like direct one-to-one -one result. Yeah. You post something, you get an actual mm -hmm. result. From yeah. It. Yeah. Have I, you had that? Happen? I have had that happen when somebody bought my work and I was commissioned to create a record cover for a band. So that was nice collaboration. Sure. So, yeah. And and people have bought work. But uh, I teach in Ostrava, some, or I help um, uh, in Ostrava with, um, uh, there is a draw, uh, drawing course uh, at the Ostrava University and I sometimes help out. And there is a, there is a, a student who has made his career through Instagram. It's like a, um, Define made his career. Yeah, he actually makes a lot of money because he had uh, a collector has found his work through Instagram. So, and have you it. asked him for his trick? Of what 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 did he do? What's the what's the thing that somehow made him stand out among the millions of people on Instagram? I haven't asked him for uh, about his trick, but the, his work is very appealing, and uh, I think. Um, I don't know, somebody liked his work and they, they bought a lot of his paintings and and that gave him, I guess, the means to make more work and gave him, now he's seen as very successful and so that's nice, I think. <laughs> You're looking at me. I'm... <laughs> I'm, in my, you, you find it strange that somebody finds uh... no what no when when you just described to me the 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 idea of like he makes what was the term you used for what is he makes he makes very appealing work appealing work yeah okay, when I hear the term appealing work I think tacky tourist like just like pretty things that that like could be turned into a refrigerator magnet mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like this so like i go to the lowest brow of dumb down oh, really? kind of art when i think of like that kind of opportunity or availability so like right so i don't think that's that's true that's no, just where no, my no, mind no, went no no maybe that's uh that's a wrong term. No, no, that's or, me. Or a term. No, that's me. I did, yeah okay <laughs> totally uh, I, I didn't mean it in a negative way i just mean that it that work is appealing and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's only appealing in in that way you described it I, yeah i'm utterly fascinated i know there are tens of thousands maybe millions of artists out in the world that are making a living by selling their works through their social media platforms mm. and their websites and whatever i'm fascinated by this like mm. i would love to meet somebody who does that because mm. i i i've never met anybody who mm. does that of course, I've seen news things about them or like things like this, but like I don't know any of these mm. people. Mm. They seem interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's a, but I'm wondering, like, is it the next way? Like, are, are am I just old and not keeping up with the times and they're progressive and they're ahead of the curve or... Or is what they're doing going to fall apart at some point? Like, is it a is it an idea that's not going to withstand the, the the practice of time? Basically, mm -hmm. because I was brought up with my schooling of the idea of like you create work that's timeless, 
you know, so that whether it's exhibited now or it's exhibited a hundred years from now, mm-hmm. it'll still feel fresh and unique mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So that's an interesting question actually i was thinking about this the other day whether you can measure because yeah we seem to measure works by the amount of time that they can withstand or whether they can feel relevant to the times now and they are seen as 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 of quality if they can like if they can still be relevant to the times in 100 years time or in 200 years time. But that's but, the way I judge. Yeah, them. but I'm, I'm not sure if it's true because some works fade away, but it doesn't mean that their quality at the time that they were created was, was of lesser value. Or maybe there are some works that go through, they, they, they come back and then they fade away again. And oh, there's there always are waves a cycle. of popularity. Yes. Or, there's always a wave so, or a cycle of popularity. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't know. If that's the way to measure whether something can be relevant at different times. Well, that's do you know what I mean? I do. And yeah. that actually leads to another question that I, I ask a lot because I, I'm fascinated by this as well. Is how do you how would you mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. in your own practice mm-hmm. and your own life mm. define success? <laughs> like what what uh, would have to yeah, happen in your yeah, artistic yeah, yeah. practice or mm-hmm. your career that you would sit back and say i've been successful mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's uh i guess it's when i make something that i feel happy with that i feel it uh, corresponded with the things i wanted to say and that also keeps surprising me in a good way when I look at look back at it. So when I look back at my work uh, that I did five years ago and I think, wow, <laughs> that was good. How, how did I do it? So it stands the test of time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I just answered my own question. <laughs> yeah. If you had any advice for anybody else through either failures or mistakes that you have made in your own career or uh, successes that you've had, Mm -hmm. what would it be? Okay. So I would say uh, keep on making work uh, despite the failures and, uh, and successes. Try to be modest and, and just, just work. That's it. That's, that's my and and uh, and maybe try to find some source of of faith uh, that you can rely on that doesn't rely on the outside world. So something inside you that uh, that keeps you coming back and carrying on. My last question, and this is one of the more difficult questions oh, I no. will ever ask anybody. <laughs> As part of the podcast. I will do whatever you are about to tell me, mm-hmm. okay? And I will keep everybody involved in this process. Mm-hmm. I have chosen an institution. I've mm-hmm. chosen the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to learn how the art industry works mm-hmm. effectively and basically learn the entire process of how the art industry works to the point that I want to be able to get 
a piece of my artwork mm -hmm. exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Mm -hmm. What do you believe I should do to start down that path of success? So one step, one idea, one thing that I should try to do in order to get my work into that museum. That's a difficult question. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. But yeah. The, but in your mind, like if you're trying to achieve that particular result, yeah. what would be something that you think would be helpful to that process? Wow, that's an impossible question. <sighs> um. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It is a difficult question because if, if I knew the answer, yeah. I would already be doing it. Yeah, of course. So I don't know the answer. And so I'm seeking everybody's input on it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know what to do myself. I think it depends on so many different things. Like, And it's a big institution. Might not even happen in your lifetime. Well, you could also just say Tate Modern. Then well, that would be, if, you, if that makes it easier for you. But also like mm, okay tight modern yeah the uh, moma was just the one i chose yeah, it's yeah, just the, the yeah. big, big institution mm -hmm. it could just mm -hmm. be guggenheim bilbao tate mm -hmm. modern it could be any sort of major international institution mm -hmm. how would you why would you even done? want to have a shoulder interesting you're the not the first person to basically question that desire yeah the reason why I chose that is simply as a, a vehicle for the podcast to try to sh be, try to be able to give tangible results from the things that I'm learning, so that the artists or gallerists or collectors or whatever can can hear about all the successes and failures that I have on trying to to get to this thing. Basically, creating a quantifiable goal for the learning that I'm achieving through the interaction of all of the people that I've been able to talk with. Mm -hmm. That's it. it. It's not, this is not some personal aspirational goal. Mm -hmm. This is something I created for the podcast as a mm -hmm. quantifiable example that would say, I have learned how the art industry works mm -hmm. well enough to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. I mean, don't Not get me wrong, sure. I would love to yeah. have a retrospective of my work <laughs> at the Tate Modern or, or Guggenheim Bilbao or the Guggenheim New York or MoMA. I mean, of course, any artist would love to have that. But this is just about creating a quantifiable, because how else do I quantify that I've learned about the arts right. industry? There, there's no other real way to quantify it. I mean... The long, the, so that the, yeah. there's that quantifiable, but then uh -huh. qualifiable yeah. will be over time whether or not I'm able to create a sustainable career in the arts yeah. from what I've learned. Yeah. But that's not really quantifiable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to create a, yeah. a, a, a goalpost, a, a thing to right. achieve. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay. Um, I just think you have to make the arts like top priority in your life and your practice top priority above your spouse and your children yeah. top priority maybe like if you are lucky you can include your your spouse and your children but because you're a man wow that was kind of sexist <laughs> why is that like a, because i'm a man um well because 
Yeah, because uh, I think uh, probably it's easier for men to have a career alongside their personal lives. It's, it's a terrible way to finish the podcast. But... I'm feeling like I'm being ostracized for, really? be, for being a white man, an American white man even. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. I feel that way most days in the arts. Uh, you're not ostracized, you're pri privileged. You would think I'm privileged, but I, these days, I would say, no, I don't feel privileged. I feel that the the pendulum that, the, that swang towards mm -hmm. white male privilege mm -hmm. has uh, swung the other way. Mm -hmm. I, I feel, and, and not to any bad, like, I have no bad feelings about it or, mm -hmm. or I'm not mm -hmm. upset about it, but mm -hmm. I feel like the, the pendulum has swung the other way and now mm -hmm. there's a, a large emphasis mm -hmm. on basically everybody in the world that's mm -hmm. not white mm -hmm. and male, mm -hmm. which is everybody else. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's great, but and, and I just happened to be working at the time when the pendulum swung the opposite way from the white privileged male that I am. Mm -hmm. and, and in time, of course, I think it'll come to some great equilibrium and some mm, balance but mm. but right now i believe that there's actually a lot of interest in you know non-white male artwork mm -hmm. which I, I hate that that even existed in the first place and, mm -hmm. and, and and i hate that there even has to be a pendulum that mm. swings about this kind of thing yeah but, but no i i feel as a white male i'm, yeah. I'm not advantaged mm. anymore uh, i think uh, traditionally of course yes white mm -hmm. males were absolutely advantaged mm. Yeah, maybe you know. Yeah, you are definitely right. It um, and uh, it has swung maybe uh, to different areas of interest and different viewpoints, and uh, and probably more so in the United States and uh, and other parts of Europe. I would say the Czech Republic is still lacking behind, but I I don't know. I feel I feel that. Um, women are still not listened to even maybe as much as people from the lgbti community and so don't get me wrong I, i'm my position on art is is that art should be appreciated for the object or the experience and not for who made it mm -hmm. so like when i go to a museum or go to an exhibition i don't care what gender, race, whatever, mm -hmm. age, mm -hmm. I mean, any other sort of things that people can be biased against. I don't care about that. I, I just look at art quality. So good art, good quality art is good quality art. I don't care who made it. Mm -hmm. So I think of myself as a reasonably non-discriminative person in the way that I don't care about gender and age and race and color, whatever, when, I, when I'm looking at art and engaging in art. Yeah. But I, I know I'm not normal that way. I know a lot of people, when they look at art, they, they look at it and then they go, oh, that person was from this place. Or, oh, mm -hmm. that person is a woman. Or, oh, mm -hmm. that was... Mm -hmm. Like, I, I've heard many times, like, oh, that's pretty good for a woman. Exactly. I'm like, who would say mm -hmm. that? Like, you wouldn't say that in a, a job in an office. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be like, well, they did their presentation at the at the meeting pretty mm -hmm. well for a mm -hmm. woman, mm -hmm. but yet they do that in the arts. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's horrible. There's just like horrible double standards, mm -hmm. triple standards. You know, sexism, racism. I mean, it's prevalent in mm -hmm. the arts. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and what you've what you've mentioned is also like open statement and uh, direct statement, but there are also ways that are very uh, underlying or they are not visible or and I don't know. Also, I think because you've mentioned your spouse and your children, I still feel that, for example, if you have a family, that uh, it's much more difficult for a woman to find time to devote herself to to something other than the family and you are welcome to that opinion i differ in that okay <laughs> i i think if if a woman is driven and 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 has the desire she has not just the right but the the i don't know, privilege whatever but like if, if a woman feels the need to mm. create art and mm. and build a career mm -hmm. i don't think that a family should hold her back any more than it should hold a man back i'm very equal equal opportunity in yeah. that way i'm not saying anybody should ignore their families or anything like that mm -hmm. but i don't believe it's a gender specific thing no i don't mm. i would like to believe mm. that it's not a gender specific thing maybe i would I'm, also like to live in a world where gender doesn't define these things but we don't live in that world right now <laughs> maybe someday yes yeah all right well thank you very much for your time thank you very much